Was that a donation, Ron? Well, he, he, he says uh, he doesn't think this uh, magic is too cool. He says, where's your imagination? It's the last hour. Where's your imagination? Where's your imagination? Well, he didn't give any money. He, he gave a dollar to give that message. To give that I, message. That's, that's, right. that's very good indeed. Well, that's very good indeed. Where's your imagination? That, that's a good question. I'll think about In that. In the seat of our pants. Of course. <laughs> Human drama in death and taxes. What, for instance, can be done when a wealthy man leaves as part of his estate the halves of $30,000 worth of banknotes with no two halves matching? He also tells what happens when a South American wife makes a sudden appearance to claim a legacy and how greedy sons manage to painfully prolong their cancer-stricken father's life to save some tax dollars. Read The Magic Shrimp, 50-50 Fagin, Uncle Sam the Indian Giver, It's No Disaster to Be in Plaster, $25,000 an Hour, Brothers and Brothels, The Uncertain Wife, and The Almost Secure Annuity in Human Drama in Death and Taxes. <laughs> All right, uh, all right, Sergeant. Uh, how about this actress arrested for larceny? How come she was at the auto lodging house? Uh, she's one of those uh, has-been actresses. She's a snowbird, you know. She takes cocaine. Yeah, she's right, down yeah. and out, but she used to be a great actress, I guess. Yeah, what's she in for? Well, last night in the night, uh, she stole this fellow's pants to get money to buy cocaine. Was she, uh, you know, staying with him? Oh, no, no, he was in another room. He's a Negro, uh, works down at Blakely Service Station. Uh, when he got up this morning, he couldn't find his pants, so he raised hell with the landlord. They called Comstock in, and he found the pants in the woman's room. Did she get any money? Fifty cents was all he had. They got it back. Is uh, White going to prosecute? Yeah, he's got a warrant this morning. The case comes up before Judge Bronson this afternoon. Say, that name, Bessie Lavore, that sounds familiar to me. Oh, sure, don't you remember? She starred in uh, The House on the Hill. Yeah. And uh, Plum Colored Destiny. Yeah. And uh, Beautiful But Dumb. Yeah. All that string of big shows that Amos Schultz was director of back about 12 years ago. You was just a kid, I guess. Yeah, Schultz? Schultz? That's her name, too, huh? Sure, yeah. She's his ex-wife. That's how he found out who she was, you know? Uh, that's how we found it out. I mean, the Sergeant Cohen was booking her. He said her name was Bessie Schultz, and he said, not any relation to uh, Amos Schultz, are you? And she said, oh, sure, I'm his first wife. No kidding. Yeah, she said acting in Hollywood was a great strain, and she got taken dope for it, yeah. and finally she got the habit, yeah. you know. Schultz dropped her and got a divorce, and she started rambling around the country, got more down and out all the time till she went on the street. Well, listen, uh, why don't you let me talk to her? Motley wounded, stuttering Sam fell from a 17-story window. His last words were... This was the end of Murder Incorporated. All right, Peter, I see that you're lost in the, uh... In the wilds of the circus there. Yes, indeed. I was just listening to your routine, and I'm also listening to Ron over there on the telephone, guys. There must be a couple of lines still open. 681-0447. Those are the numbers. Any, any donation at all you know what we at do? this point. We should, to the people who have tuned in since about 2 o'clock, once mm -hmm. more read for them Jeez, the interview shot. that I did with the Roshi, which we read this afternoon and, and ignited an awful lot of interest. And, uh, well, let's do I've that. Got it here. Sure. Would, you, uh, would you play the interviewer, David, since you're sure, right next to me here? And uh, I'll play the Roshi. Um, this interview took place uh, on May 21st. I was the interviewer, and uh, the Roshi is the Zen Roshi, Joshu Sasaki, whose Zen center, and for whose activities and inspiration and teaching, we are now raising money. And uh, David will play the interviewer, and I will play the Roshi. <clears throat> Roshi. Many people today are concerned because things look so ugly, bad air, much crowded. They're looking for paradise. They want the world to be a paradise. Is there a paradise in Zen? 
It is possible to say that the object of Zen, the aim of Zen, is to construct a paradise, to find a paradise, and to make a paradise. How is Zen a better way of building or making a paradise than more traditional political means? By political, I mean action by government or social groups. I'm not a scholar of politics and not able to comment on the present approach towards what the government is doing or what social, political, or economic means are being used to find this type of paradise. It's difficult for me to comment on what this type of paradise is. I will talk specifically on the Zen way to construct paradise. In order to construct a house, a beautiful house, you need a very beautiful piece of board. It must be shaved beautifully and prepared for use in the house. In such a case, you need a tool, a plane with a very sharp edge. But just bringing together a great number of highly specialized good tools will not build you a good house. You need an exceptionally fine carpenter, <clears throat> a woodworker who has trained for many years, who has honed his own skills to perfection. And this carpenter, using the fine tools, will help you build a beautiful house. Now the question is, does Zen make fine carpenters? Is Zen the tool or the carpenter? I must tell you that the object, the aim of Zen, is also to build the fine tool itself. To also build up the man to use that fine tool. But that is not enough. N not enough? <clears throat> no, you also need a plan. But that is not enough. Here we have a beautiful house using the utmost in skills and the finest tools and according to a very fine plan. But if the house was built in the path of typhoons, in the epicenter of earthquakes, or in the path of flood waves, then in one instant the house will disappear. To avoid this, you could build the house on top of a mountain without any roads leading to the place so that no one could get there. But paradise is a place where children can go, old people can go, men can go, and women can go, sick can go, and also the healthy can go. It must be a place where everyone can go. So if the entrance fee to paradise is 100 yen, then to the people who cannot pay the 100 yen entrance fee, that place is not paradise. So the question is, what do we call a paradise? So we must reverse the question. I'd like to ask you, what are you calling paradise? Well, paradise is being true self. Paradise is not, to me, a place, not a thing, not a being, but no worry. True self is when you don't worry. That's right. Then if paradise is to be true self, can Zen help me to be my true self? Can Zen help me be in paradise? True self is paradise. Paradise without true self is not paradise. Since you have come here to this Zen center and have sat in Zazen or meditation for a long period, I feel that you are sincerely able to discern the importance here that without revealing the true self, there is absolutely no possibility of experiencing paradise. No, so one facet of Zen, of course, is to be able to manifest your true self, which in turn is the manifestation of paradise. The Zen attitude, or the way we look at human beings in terms of Zen, is that human beings are all attempting to manifest their true natures, their true selves. But there are many, many people who do not think that way, and so they are not able to experience paradise or manifest their true nature. Let us suppose that everyone was studying Zen. Would the world change? Would we be brought closer to paradise? When human beings are able to manifest their true nature, they no longer even have to think about paradise. It is no longer a concern. What about the person who says he's not interested in Zen because it's a religion? He's only interested, he says, in being healthy and wants to know if Zen is like health foods. If a man asks this question, is Zen like health foods? Then it is already indicative that he is interested in Zen. Yes, Zen is like health foods. All religion should be like health food. What are caterpillars eating? What do they eat to exist? Leaves, I think. To the caterpillar, the leaves are their health food. What do foxes eat to exist? Foxes, uh, 
rabbits, chickens. So do the foxes, rabbits, and probably fowl are their health food. What do gophers eat? Gophers? Uh, vegetable roots. So vegetable roots to them must be their health foods. How about pigs? Pigs eat garbage. How about little birds? Little seeds. So do the birds. Seeds must be their health foods. How about the cows? Cows eat grass. Mmm, so the grass is their health food. What do you think is a health food for human beings? Everything they eat. That's right. For human beings, there are many religions. Every religion to them must be a health food. But if human beings only ate potatoes to exist, what would happen? They'd get sick. If I took vitamin C's only, what would happen to me? You'd die. Well, we must think that all foods are good for us. But if we eat only one food, then we become ill. In other words, we cannot become bound to one food. If you think only one religion is the only food for yourself, then you may become ill. But if you eat only Zen, won't you become ill? That's why we Zen priests eat everything. We Zen priests can go to a Christian church and make the sign of the cross. And we will go to another church and chant sutras. We are free people. We think that all this food is good for us. In the world, there's a great amount of dissatisfaction and confusion. Why don't people manifest their true selves? If it is indeed paradise, why don't people do it all the time? That's a very good question. If we are born as a caterpillar, then we eat only food that is suited to a caterpillar. The life of a caterpillar is a very simple one, because there's no avarice and greed to manifest the self in any other way, just to eat the food that the caterpillar knows it can well exist upon. It's a very simple existence. But when we get to the badger, we find that he eats all different kinds of foods. He is much smarter. He has more greed. But even the badger eats only within certain limitations.